Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa G. Bosser. And we are here to chat a little bit about TCU Oklahoma coming up this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The Frogs obviously are sitting at 3-3 three and three coming off of that loss last Thursday night to Texas Tech. Oklahoma, meanwhile, is sitting at 5-1, and one, ranked number 9 in the country with arguably the best offense in the universe right now with mm-hmm. Kyler Murray at the helm. Uh, coming to town, that game, again, is at 11 o'clock. It's on ABC. Oklahoma is an eight-point favorite. Uh, Melissa, this is a game that at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of Frog fans had circled along with the Ohio State game. Um, but what's your vibe? I, I've, got a, I've got a thought on this, too. But what's your vibe uh, about the TCU fan base heading into this game Saturday versus what you expected it to be at the beginning of the year? I mean, to me, this is as kind of, like, negative as I've seen the TCU fan base in a while. I think that, that they're kind of resigned um, to, to this being an ugly one, um, that the 11 a.m. tip-off doesn't help things uh, too much here. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I just haven't felt a lot of excitement around this game. And, and I, I mean, that's just kind of the sense that I've picked up. Um, from social media and just talking to people is I don't think many people are giving the frogs a chance, which probably means we'll win by 20. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I, I obviously I, I've recorded a little bit of podcast with the crimson and cream guys earlier for their show. Uh, and I felt at the end of it that I was like, gosh, I, I was really down on, on the frogs, especially in the offense uh, throughout that conversation uh, and I didn't really anticipate being that way. Obviously, the Frogs have struggled offensively this year, and that's cause, I think, for a significant amount of concern. Um, but realistically, I think you're right. Like, this is as down, I think, as TCU has been uh, for, heading into a game that I can remember in recent memory. Uh, really, you know, maybe the 2013 season, uh, you know, there were a couple of a couple of weeks like that near the end of the year maybe even 2016, just with the kind of expecting, you know, turnovers from Kenny Hill and, and bad offensive play, that kind of thing. But yeah, this is, you're, you're right. This is kind of a strange vibe that the TCU fan base has going on right now. Well, and you worry too, that if the fan base has it, that it's infiltrated the program as well. And, and I think, you know, this kind of, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot more negativity surrounding TCU and, and a lot more of an unsettled foundation than, we've really seen, you know, in the Gary Patterson era. I mean, if you go back to 2013, which was a disaster season, it was easy to write that off as, you know, oh, it's the first year in Big 12, it'll get better. And then when you look at 2016 and, and what a rough year that was, it was kind of like, well, Kenny Hill's not going to be the answer. Now you look at 2018 and you're like, well, we've been recruiting at the highest level that TCU's had in a long time. There's a lot of talent. There's talentless skill positions. Um, but you've got players leaving the program. You've got a rash of decommitments, which isn't unusual, but feels like it's just kind of adding fuel to the fire at this point. And there's just not, there's not that hunger on the field. Like when you look at how talented the players on both sides of the ball, I mean, the defense has been playing great, but it, it just, it feels, I don't know. I just, I think that the, it's more unsettled than it's been in a long time. And, and that's just an interesting feeling for a program that the one thing it's had is, is a lot of security for the last 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned recruiting. It's, it's been a really rough week for TCU on the <laughs> recruiting front. It, obviously, uh, you know, you have Kennedy Snell who's, who's transferring away from the program, but you also, 
lose a really big commitment in Kennedy Lewis after his visit Texas. to Texas. It looks like he's probably going to head to Austin now at this point. The uh, you know, the three star receiver out of out of Melissa. Uh, you lost a commitment from William Jones, the the five nine corner cornerback uh, earlier this week as well. Um, and and realistically, you know, it, it is like you said a, a rough spot for for the frogs kind of all across the board when it comes to the football program, both recruiting and on the field results. Uh, and, and it does have an effect, I think, on the players when you talk about, you know, you just lose momentum so quickly. Uh, and then to see these kinds of things happen, sometimes it can be really difficult to get it back. The good news, I think, heading into Saturday is that, you know, if there's any opportunity for the offense to start and click and, and really start to find its rhythm again, there's no reason that it can't be against an Oklahoma defense that is, you know, kind of topsy turvy right now. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> topsy turvy, but I think there, there's also a little bit of a fear that, oh crap, they figured it out a week earlier than we would have all liked to have seen. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that one thing um, that it's not that Oklahoma hasn't recruited well. It's not that there isn't, um, you know, a lot of talent in that program. It's that you know, Stoops was just kind of a disaster as a DC. And, and we heard things coming out of the locker room in the middle of the Red River rivalry, shootout, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, players walking out and, and being upset and like threatening to quit and stuff because they were so frustrated with Stoops. And man, there's nothing like injecting some fresh energy into a talented team after a loss, giving them an extra week to prepare and, and turning them loose. Like you, you would think, oh, this Oklahoma defense is bad, but but man, they, they may have fixed it just in time to take advantage of a TCU offense. It's been, I mean, frankly, inept for most of the season. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely possible uh, that they find their, their rhythm coming off of the bye week with Ruffin McNeil in charge of that, of that side of the ball now. Uh, But realistically, this is still an Oklahoma defense that has not forced a lot of turnovers this year. And, you know, being a TCU fan and watching them just hand the ball away, 15 times in the first six games. That's something that maybe they can take advantage of is, is the lack of forced turnovers on Oklahoma's end. Um, but realistically, you know, this is going to be an uphill battle for the frogs from the get go, simply because of Oklahoma's offense. I mean, you've got Kyler Murray, who's playing at an elite level. You've got wide receivers like Hollywood Brown and CD lamb who are tearing it up. The, the run game has definitely fallen off a little bit uh, with, uh, the injury to Rodney Anderson, but they're still really talented. And obviously Murray's a part of that run game as well. Yeah. And averaging um, more than five yards per carry. As yeah, running and so, you know, <laughs> we're going to get into a, an, an interview that I did with Jack Shields over at Crimson and Cream Machine in just a minute. And, you know, he mentions that the run game uh, is down and, and realistically I, I have a, yes, it's down from having arguably the best running back in college football, uh, but what does down mean when you're coming down from that? It's still probably yeah. a pretty effective running game. Um, and so let's go ahead and jump into that, Melissa. This is an interview that I did with Jack Shields. He's the managing editor of Crimson and Cream Machine, SB Nation's Oklahoma blog, uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, and let's hear what Jack has to say about the Sooners. All right, we are here with Jack Shields. He is the managing editor of Crimson and Cream, SB Nation's Oklahoma website. Uh, Jack, thanks for taking your time, taking your time to hop on with us. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so obviously 
things have taken a turn a little bit for Oklahoma this season after this past, uh, or I guess two Saturdays ago, uh, with the loss in the Red River uh, shootout. It will always be the shootout to me. I don't know about you. Um, to Definitely. Texas <laughs> in that uh, game that allowed, I guess, the Sooners to let go of, of Mike Stoops as defensive coordinator. So uh, you had a bye week last week. How's the fan base feeling after that loss, uh, having a, about a week to process process things at this point? Well, we definitely needed the week to process it. I mean, there's, you know, you're obviously transitioning to a new defensive coordinator. You know, fans, I think, were ready for a little break from the stress. So, I mean, it kind of goes both ways as far as that's concerned. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think people are feeling a little bit better. I mean, people have had time to cool down a little bit. And I think, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting Ruffin McNeil, or not too many people at least, are expecting Ruffin McNeil to be the full-time solution or – nor are people expecting anything groundbreaking to take place defensively. But I think people have kind of reset a little bit and have kind of realized, hey, you know, this defense is obviously an issue and it's probably not going to be fixed overnight. But at the same time, a lot of the team's goals are still in sight. And I think that people are, you know, sort of uh, reflecting on that and sort of uh, remembering that, I guess. So I, I think... The general morale is a little better than it was, you know, a week ago, obviously. But I think there's, you know, a bit of a renewed hope that Oklahoma could win a fourth straight Big 12 title and maybe sneak into the playoff once again. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking, you know, you take a look around the Big 12 this year, and obviously Texas is a, a notch better than they have been in, in recent years. But you've got TCU that's really down this year. You've got West Virginia that's coming off of a loss. Uh, in Ames, which uh, I think surprised a lot of people this past Saturday. And, and beyond that, you know, realistically, it feels like it's still a wide open race in the Big 12. So uh, do you expect at this point Oklahoma to get a rematch against Texas in the Big 12 championship come December? Well, with West Virginia losing to Iowa State, obviously, that uh, that made it a lot more likely, obviously. But uh yeah, I, I guess I would say so. I, I'm not expecting Texas to run the table because they're obviously far from perfect. Their offense, I mean, Oklahoma's defense made their offense look a lot better than it is. So that's still a bit of an issue for them. And the uh, Oklahoma offense obviously, uh, I think, exposed a few weaknesses in the defense as well, although it obviously is a you know a pretty solid group for the most part defensively. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Texas lost a game to West Virginia, but or maybe to someone else even, but I, yeah, at, at this point I would say the odds are definitely in favor of Texas uh, getting back to that game. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the big 12 is down and they already have Oklahoma out of the way. So I don't think there are too many opportunities for them to trip up from this point forward. Yeah. I mean, looking at Oklahoma's schedule, you've got the obviously TCU on, on Saturday uh, in Fort Worth, and then you have Kansas state at home. You go to Lubbock, against Texas Tech, and, and that offense has been pretty potent lately, uh, especially with Alan Bowman back from, <clears throat> or, uh, you know, out, but without Alan Bowman, sorry, and you've got their third-string quarterback in now. There are some questions there. Oklahoma State has struggled. Obviously, you know, Kansas is Kansas, and then West Virginia coming off of that loss to Iowa State is Oklahoma's final game of the season. Uh, it really does set up pretty nicely for the Sooners to break in Ruffin McNeil and, you know, the offense to keep clicking and, and speaking of the offense, you know, Kyler Murray seems to have stepped in, uh, you know, flawlessly 
for Baker Mayfield coming off of Mayfield's Heisman season a year ago. What have you seen from Kyler Murray this year that has impressed you? Uh, and do you think uh, he is as good as Baker Mayfield, or is this really uh, maybe a product of the offense a little bit? It's an interesting question. I mean, obviously the offense has a little bit to do with it, but I mean, there were, you know, people obviously knew that Kyler Murray was athletic coming in. Everybody knew he had a strong arm coming in, but there were still a lot of boxes that needed to be checked. You know, how would he do from a leadership standpoint? How would be he be, uh, as you know, a field general of sorts? You know, how good would he be with his reads and progressions? How good would he be? In pressure situations, you know, those are all things that Baker Mayfield thrived at, obviously. And he's really answered the call in all of those areas. He's been fantastic. And then, you know, athletically, he brings an element that Baker Mayfield didn't have. So, you know, it's not really fair to say that he's better than Baker Mayfield because Baker was, you know, a transcendent talent, obviously, at quarterback for Oklahoma. But the offense as a whole, from a production standpoint, it's not missing a beat. He's been everything Oklahoma fans have hoped for and probably a bit more. I mean, it helps when you've got guys like Hollywood Brown and CeeDee Lamb out absolutely. there wide too, right? You know, running, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Out, outstripping everybody in, in opposing secondaries. And, He's got a little bit of help. Uh, oh, of course. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the thing that I've been impressed with just from an outsider's perspective is how it doesn't feel like the run game has faltered much in the absence of Rodney Anderson. Uh, is that is, do you think that's a fair assessment with with how Trey Sermon has stepped up, and then obviously Kyler Murray's mobility? Or uh, you know what? How has the loss of Rodney Anderson affected things for this offense? Well, I wouldn't say it's quite a fair assessment to say that it hasn't dropped off a bit. I mean, Oklahoma's ability to sort of you know break off the big one in the running game has really been hindered without a a guy like Rodney Anderson in there. He was, you know, kind of a do-everything guy, but who was also, you know, a, arguably the biggest home run threat of any running back in the country. You know, he's definitely up there at least. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Sermon, obviously, he's more of a steady guy, more of a patient runner. He He's done pretty well in his absence, uh, sort of carrying the load to a degree. But then, you know, guys like uh, Kennedy Brooks and TJ Pledger, they've... Uh, done pretty well in spots whenever they've been given opportunities. But in general, I mean, it, it's not really a weakness, but it, it's the running game is missing something. I will say that. And also the, uh, the run blocking from the offensive line, there was, there's a lot of big names on that offensive line, very talented, experienced guys. But I mean, you've got to remember that there were some, uh, some tweaks that were made in the off season. You know, Bobby Evans went from right tackle over to left tackle, and that's no easy transition. Then you bring Cody Ford out to right tackle from guard, and then you put a redshirt freshman in at center. So, I mean, there's a lot of talent there, but there was, you know, they're still dealing with, you know, cohesion concerns as far as run blocking is concerned. So that's been a bit of an issue as well. But uh, pass blocking, they've been fine. But run blocking, you know, it's still, they're still sort of progressing in that regard. So, you know, the run game obviously is still dangerous, but it's, to a large degree, it really is still a work in progress. So if TCU's defense is going to work to slow down Oklahoma's offense then on Saturday, what are some keys uh, defensively for the Frogs that you think would allow them, allow them to stifle this offense a little bit? 
Well, I mean, you know, limiting Oklahoma on the ground, which, you know, teams have been able to do that. So, I mean, there, there's is that one thing. And TCU in the past, uh, I believe both games last year, and especially in the Big 12 championship game, until garbage time was really limiting Oklahoma with the run. So, I mean, Gary Patterson's offensive, our defenses, I mean, have been able to do that in the past. But uh, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. And uh, it's sort of what was the key for Army staying in this game? And it was Army's offense, and in this case, TCU's offense, being able to stay mm-hmm. on the field and sustain long drives and keep <clears throat> Oklahoma's offense off the field. And in a way that was sort of, at times it sort of seemed to take Oklahoma's offense out of rhythm. And most offensive players will tell you that. I mean, if you're just standing on the sideline for, you know, nine, ten minutes at a time, it kind of wears on you a little bit. You get a little antsy, and it kind of, Throws your offense off rhythm a little bit. So I, I would say that, and also, I mean, I know TCU fans aren't real happy with the way the offense has been producing lately, but as much as Oklahoma's defense has struggled, I think TCU really does have a opportunity to sustain drives and sort of keep Oklahoma's offense off the field. And that's one way I think you can sort of slow things down. Otherwise, I mean, <laughs> Oklahoma's offense obviously is – averaging more yards per play than anyone in the country. So no one really has been able to solve the problem at this point. But, you know, I would say that's one thing to consider, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, it's uh, for TCU, it's all about staying close, I think, until until late in the game and just giving yourself an opportunity uh, to be in position to win at the end. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, we talked about this on, on your podcast a little earlier about TCU's struggle offensively to maintain and sustain drives uh, and have those drives result in points often enough uh, to keep their defense fresh, uh, which is another benefit of, of off the offense staying on the field for a significant amount of time is, is TCU's defense getting a breather. Um, but but to your to your point about Oklahoma's uh, defense not being um, just just having some struggles this year, obviously firing. Uh, Stoops after the Texas game, and now you've got Ruffin McNeil. You've had a bye week for McNeil to maybe settle the guys a little bit and start to really kind of build, uh, you know, a little bit of confidence in that in that unit. But what have you seen from Oklahoma's defense this year that has frustrated you as an OU fan? Uh, and and what are some what are some weaknesses on that defense that maybe TCU's offense can take advantage of? You know, as simple as it sounds, the biggest issue for this Oklahoma defense this year has been tackling. You know, it's Texas, I believe they had two uh, third and 20-plus opportunities in the past game. And both times they were, or at least one of those times, they were able to get within fourth and short range just because little Jordan Humphrey dragged what seemed like five players for about 10 yards. I mean, Oklahoma's defense just hasn't been able to tackle and get off the field, and that's been a big part of it, you know. It was a big issue against Army. It was a huge issue, especially on the back end against Iowa State. That Iowa State game isn't very close if Oklahoma wraps up a little bit better. You know, and uh, Baylor, there were issues with tackling out on the edge. It's it's really, and this has been an issue with Oklahoma's defense for years. I mean, I don't know what the solution is for that, but apparently they've been, at least according to Curtis Bolton, they've been making a concerted effort during this time off to sort of, work on that craft, but I, I don't know what specifically they do to do that. But I mean, it's, 
it, that's been the most maddening thing because against Texas, they really were in position to make a lot of plays and same with the, the Baylor game. But, you know, there it's, it's really, it, it makes you pull your hair out when they I mean that players are in position to make plays and simply don't wrap up or try to tackle with their shoulder pads or something like that. I mean, it, it's, there's been a lot of that from Oklahoma's defense. They're just simply not very physical. I mean, it's, Maybe it's something that the bye week will help, but I, I'm I'm not holding my breath on it. But you know, it was, it, was team. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was pretty much done. Uh, so, was team speed an issue against Texas as well? You you mentioned a guy like little Jordan Humphrey dragging dragging people for extra yards after contact, but you know they've they've got some really. Uh, top end speed guys in that receiving core too. You know, got Colin Johnson. Will Humphrey is is a fast guy as well. Uh, did that give Oklahoma's secondary some problems too? I, I mean, I know that OU's got athletes in their back in in the secondary. They always do, um, but realistically, that was probably the the best offense that Oklahoma had seen to this point in the season, uh, unless you unless you count you know Florida Atlantic at the very beginning of the year and, and they laid a complete egg. You know, Oklahoma came out on fire against them. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think that was the main issue. I mean, I, I, I mean, Oklahoma's, like I said, they were in position in a lot of instances. I don't think, as far as speed is concerned on the defense, they're really not lacking for that, honestly, at any of the positions. I mean, there's some athleticism on the front. You've got some pretty fast guys in the secondary. It, it, that's That's really not what I see as the issue. But, I mean, you know, they're going to be going up against some guys that uh, – TCU, who obviously have uh, quite a bit of speed, you know, Jalen Rager. I mean, he's he's a burner. I mean, Oklahoma fans wish he was playing in Norman, and he nearly <laughs> was. So, I mean, he's definitely someone, I mean, regardless of what weapons Oklahoma has in the receiving core, he's someone that Oklahoma obviously really wanted to have. But uh, it's, uh, I mean, but at the same time, I got to qualify that by saying that Perhaps Marquise Brown isn't at Oklahoma if uh, Jalen Rager's at Oklahoma because they kind of added him right. after the decommitment. But so it's kind of you I think know it worked out well. For it goes both, both ways. There. I think it, it worked. It worked. It worked out pretty well for both parties. But anyway, you know, Rager's a fantastic receiver, and he's someone who can certainly make this defense pay for a lack of discipline because of his speed. So, and I mean, obviously, he's a he's a pretty physical guy too. It's kind of he's deceivingly physical, honestly. I mean, he can certainly break some tackles. I mean, he can definitely uh, break some tackles against Oklahoma's secondary, but uh, so, you know, we'll see that, that, but as far as that being a glaring issue, I didn't really see it that way, honestly. So, you know, one of the things that TCU's offense has really struggled with this year is uh, pass protection for Sean Robinson uh, and really just all kinds of offensive line issues. Run blocking has been an issue. Pass protection has been an issue especially these last few weeks without their starting left guard, Cordell Iwagu. Um, so tell me a little bit about Oklahoma's defensive line, how they've been able to affect the quarterback, and, and how they have been against the run this year. Because realistically, I think for TCU to have a chance in this game, they're going to have to be able to establish themselves on the offensive line to be able to give that offense the time to really get into rhythm and move at the pace that they want to move. Uh, and if, if, if Oklahoma's defensive line is able to disrupt that, then I think it'll be a long day for TCU. Yeah, you know, there, there's some talent on the defensive front, probably more talent across the board than you've seen in the last few years, and that's continuing to improve with the uh, 
renewed recruiting success on the defensive side uh, under this new regime, or at least under Lincoln Riley. But, uh, you know, over the first few games, they looked pretty good. You know, they did well against uh, FAU. They did pretty well against UCLA. But starting with the Army game, they've or starting with the Iowa State game as well, they haven't really been that strong at the point of attack. So it's really a lot of the burden with both the pass rush and with run defense has sort of fallen to the linebackers and uh, uh, Kenneth Murray and Curtis Bolton. And that was really demonstrated against Army because they Oklahoma really wasn't making any tackles within the first three yards. I mean, it was, you know, four yards, five-yard gain every single time, and it was usually a tackle by the linebacker. It was usually Kenneth Murray or Curtis Bolton. Kenneth Murray actually set the OU record for a single-game tackles with 29 in that game. So it, it's that kind of shows you the issues that Oklahoma's defensive line had at the point of attack in that game. And those issues have sort of lingered. But uh, from an overall talent standpoint, I think they're capable of doing some good things. And also, there's been a bit of talk about OU more frequently going with the four-man front moving forward under uh, Ruffin McNeil this season. So perhaps that could help a little bit. You know, they have been going a little bit 4-2-5 lately, but uh, this year at least. But uh, I think you'd see it a bit more frequently with the four-man fronts moving forward. So perhaps that will alleviate some of it. But there's definitely promise in that unit. Ronnie Perkins has done really well. He's been a He's a true freshman who... Oklahoma fans are hoping we'll get more snaps moving forward. That's um, This is kind of going off topic, but Oklahoma or Ruffin McNeil and, you know, with Mike Stoops gone, I think there has been speculation that they would probably elect to go with better athletes or trying to get the best athletes on the field from here going forward, and that would certainly include uh, – Ronnie Perkins. So I think Ronnie Perkins is someone who you can expect to see a bit more of this week. And I think that'll be a good thing for Oklahoma. He was a really highly touted guy out of a St. Louis, Missouri, a true freshman, but you know, there's hope for the rest of the season for the defensive line. But like I said, there have been issues at the point of attack. So if there, you mentioned a couple of guys there on either side of the ball, uh, who are some names that maybe TCU fans don't know, uh, that you think Frog fans should keep an eye on in this game coming up Saturday? Uh, Trey Brown would definitely be one, I think. Uh, he hasn't been the full-time you know, guy at corner. They've been having kind of a rotation, but this sort of goes back to uh, what I was saying earlier about having the best athletes on the field at all times. Uh, I think there's a belief that Trey Brown could see a lot more time than he's seen in the past, maybe – on the field for the majority of the snaps moving forward potentially. And he is a fantastic player. He's much more physical than the other two cornerbacks are. He's, he's a major burner, probably like a four, three, four, three, five guy, someone who seems to fly around to the ball quite a bit. So Oklahoma's had a lot of trouble forcing turnovers this year. Uh, they've only forced five this year. They're near the bottom of the barrel in that. So uh, Trey Brown is someone who I think, could potentially have a breakout game this week if OU is maybe able to force some turnovers this week or maybe, you know, I think another would probably 
I guess a lot of people already know about Buki Radley-Hiles, but uh, he's a true freshman, so maybe TCU fans aren't quite as familiar with him. But he was a five-star recruit out of IMG Academy. Not the biggest guy, but he's sort of, he sort of fits the mold of a Tyron Matthew honey badger. So he's okay. OU fans have sort of been waiting for him to make that huge play defensively. He still hasn't had an interception yet, but he's someone who I think, I guess with TCU's turnover issues, I think he's someone who could potentially capitalize on that. And uh, let's see. Offensively, I would say Kennedy Brooks maybe is a guy to keep an eye on behind Trey Sermon. He's he redshirted last year because of shoulder surgery, but he was an incredibly productive back uh, in high school in the state of Texas. I believe it was Mansfield, but uh, you know, really talented back, really uh, balanced back. About I'd say about six one, two ten, maybe really good receiver, really uh. You know, good movement, good balance, everything you really look for to back. Sort of a, uh, I guess, a mini Rodney Anderson, I guess, is what you would maybe classify him as. But he's someone to keep an eye out for uh, out of the backfield for sure. Uh, it's hard. I guess it's hard to it's hard to put your finger on an offensive player when they're all <laughs> when they're all pretty elite. They're pretty good. Yeah, they, like like how he's got just all across the board there. Uh, so lastly, before we let you go, Jack, let, uh, let us know what you, how you think this game turns out on Saturday, uh, maybe with a score prediction or just kind of some general thoughts. Well, the impression I've gotten from you and also from uh, other TCU people I've discussed with this week, whether it be a podcast or something else, it's, uh, you know, there obviously isn't much hope in TCU's offense just because of how many struggles they've had with turnovers and whatnot, but... I really think that TCU is going to have a bit of success against this defense this week. I think there's a great chance for big plays from the receivers. There's just – you guys have so many playmakers on that offense. So, I mean, it's uh, – there's definitely – there are definitely going to be plenty of opportunities to take advantage of this defense's weakness. I could see this game perhaps being – Oh, I don't know, 42-31 Oklahoma or something like that. I know TCU's offense hasn't averaged a lot of points lately, but I think they're definitely going to end up above their uh, recent average in that department, I would say. Well, I mean, that's, that gives us a little hope, I think, as Frog fans, just understanding yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Where, where this offense has been for sure, but, because you're absolutely right. I, I have not come across a TCU fan that has yet to say anything other than you know, this offense is loaded with talent. Really, the question is, is how are they or why aren't they executing at the level that we are expected, yeah. uh, expecting them to? Uh, and so, you know, maybe a game against a defense that's, that's down uh, will do that. Who knows? Uh, hopefully, hopefully that is the case. Yeah. Uh, but Jack, we really do appreciate. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was about to say, yeah, this turnover battle is uh, something that's going to be incredibly interesting when TCU's offense is on the field because TCU's turned it over 15 times this year, whereas Oklahoma's mm-hmm. defense has only forced five turnovers this year. So both are sort of in the bottom of the barrel in that department. So, you know, something's got to give there, and I think this one will come down to which way it gives, honestly. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I definitely see that. Hopefully, for Frog fans, it, it breaks TCU's way for once this year. Uh, it's been pretty brutal watching them give the ball away so many times. Um, but Jack, thank you for, for taking some time to, to chat today. Uh, obviously, we've got 
uh, a really cool game coming up on Saturday. Hopefully, there will be a bunch of Oklahoma fans there just to hang out and I'll be and have there. a good time. So, yeah, I can't wait. Excellent. It's, well, it'll be my first uh, time in Fort Worth for a game, so I'm looking forward to oh, it. Oh, perfect. Well, let's connect offline. You can come by the, the Frogs War tailgate and have a beer Oh, or that sounds outstanding. Um, I'll take you up on that for sure. Well, uh, perfect. All right, well, yeah, this is Jack Shields. He he's, runs the ship over at Crimson and Cream, SB Nation's Oklahoma site. You can follow them at CC Machine on Twitter, obviously Crimson and Cream machine.com uh so get over there check out i think melissa did a q a with them earlier this week so if you if you get over there and read some of melissa's words on their website and, and they've exchanged questions with us too so uh very grateful to have good partners at the, the oklahoma site over at crimson cream thanks jack for for coming on with that absolutely thanks for having me on so there you have it <laughs> melissa aren't you so impressed with all of the things jack had to say you know, I think that uh, Jack is a great. D- I didn't hear the interview when, when this, by the, this is being recorded. I was not able. I had to. I had to watch my students sing a choir performance that made me cry. So I'm sorry I missed your interview, Jack. But I'll listen to it on the podcast. You know, he did. He did say a couple of things that were really interesting, and that kind of resonated with me, just from a TCU perspective. You know, we talked a lot about the defense, uh, Oklahoma's defense, and I asked what their biggest weakness was this year, and he said tackling. Uh, and you know, oh, as TCU fans, you know, we do have that in common. TCU's defense is not tackled well. Uh, and, and, you know, the suggestion there being that if, if the ball can get into the hands of some of the talent that TCU has on offense, they might be able to do something with it, uh, from that standpoint. And we did see that a little bit, uh, in Oklahoma's game against Texas, where the, the Sooners really did have trouble wrapping up and bringing Texas guys to the ground. Uh, and, and that is definitely one way that TCU can take advantage of. Oklahoma's defense, but realistically, Melissa, you and I both know that for that to happen, they got to get the ball in their hands. Yeah, I mean, it, there, there's just so many things that can go wrong on Saturday morning for TCU. I mean, I, I won't say that there, there's no chance that they can win because I still believe in Gary Patterson and the town on this team, but, but at the end of the day, this offense is, is going to have to look like a legit division one offense. That's not something that they've done. And you can only put up 14 points at home against Texas tech and that defense that has been an absolute thief. Like that is unbelievably concerning um, as a TCU fan, even against another, an OU defense that hasn't been much better. But uh, if you're, if you're going to be OU, the way to do it is dominate time of possession. And, and the way to dominate time of possession is by not turning it over. Um, being able to run the ball well, two things that we haven't seen TCU do consistently this year. How surprised would you be if TCU came out and ran the triple option like Army did? It worked for Army. I would be shocked because I just don't think Sonny Cumbie has that in his arsenal at this point. I mean, I'd, I'd, <laughs> at, least, I'd at least give it a shot. I, I just I think that's a, that's a lot that's a lot to put on a team in a week. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, realistically, it's not going to happen. But I wouldn't be shocked to see TCU run a lot of the zone read, yeah. with, you know, option option game stuff that they've been reintroducing to the offense a little bit this year with Sean Robinson at the helm uh, to try and and kind of keep Oklahoma's defense off balance and maybe a little bit out of position at least early on before they can, you know, the Sooners' offense gets the ball and starts to really establish themselves. Well, and, and that's going to be the key is is I think one of the things that's been the most surprisingly disappointing is the running game for TCU. I mean, it, it's something that should have been a strength coming into the year, despite um, the issues with the offensive line. At the end of the day, you know, Darius Anderson's one of the 
is one of the most talented backs in the conference and to see him really not get going and, and to have a disappointing showing um, against Texas Tech and, and to get, I mean, really to get called out a little bit by Gary Patterson, who, you know, I think Anderson Jett's been a little bit vocal about not getting the touches that he wants. His, his mom even said something on social media about <laughs> them not, not letting him eat. And then he gets out and, you know, he fumbles and he just, he, he wasn't effective against Tech. So, uh, the the way to be, I mean, we, we saw it with, with Army, we saw it with Texas. If you want to be, to make the Sooners vulnerable, you have to keep the ball out of their out of their offense's hands. And I, I just don't know that TCU is capable of doing that for four quarters on Saturday morning. Yeah, and realistically, even if the offense can do that uh, even moderately well, it has to result in points. Like, you yeah. can't just drive the ball down, kill six minutes of clock, and then not Miss come away with a touchdown, right? Like miss yeah. a field goal, dunk it or something, or like drop a pass in the end zone, uh, and then you have to punt. So realistically, it's not even just about sustaining drives. It's about finishing them. And I don't know <clears> – <throat> I just don't know if, if TCU is up for, up for that. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. It's just – again, like, you know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here and act like there's no hope. I mean, TCU could absolutely come out and win this game, but – we're going to need to see some something dramatically different from what we've seen out of the frogs the last three weeks of the of the season. And, you know, they're, they're one and two in the big 12 um, and they're still have to play Oklahoma. They still have to play West Virginia. I mean, it, it's not going to get a lot easier from here on out. And so uh, this could be an opportunity for them to get right and, and to, to turn things around and to start looking like the team we thought they would be. Um, but if they're going to do it, it, it's going to take some real dramatic changes. And, and that's a lot to ask, you know, in, in a week and a half against, one of the top offenses in the country. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see. I mean, I really want to see how the players respond, like how much fire do they come out with? You know, what's their, their energy and their passion? There was, there was a lot of negativity on that sideline Thursday night. And there were players yeah. getting into it with each other, getting into it with coaches. Um, it, it wasn't, they were not channeling the energy in a way that, that was showing out in the field positively. It was, it, I mean, they're frustrated and they, and they should be, they should be frustrated with themselves. Um, I know the fans are frustrated. I, I mean, you can use that frustration to, to be a positive thing. But again, like that's, we've been seeing that frustration build and it's just been more and more negative as the season's worn on. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's definitely something that can compound itself and, and have a significant effect. There's also, you know, it can, it can turn to the good. You know, you can find a way to focus that energy and channel that frustration into better on-field performances uh, and with the extra couple of days because of the Thursday game last week, maybe the Frogs have found a way to do that. You know, they they obviously didn't do that over the course of the bye week leading into the Tech game. Uh, but, you know, suffering that loss, which I think uh, of the three this year, that was the most unexpected loss of the three. Uh, maybe, that, maybe the Frogs have, have finally had their kind of come-to-Jesus moment to say, look, we've really got to put our, put our nose back down to the grindstone and really work on this thing. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm like you too. I don't want to be too negative. And realistically, like this is still an incredibly good TCU defense. I mean, they're 14th overall in defensive S&P on the season. And that's, that's no small feat in the Big 12, even though the Big 12 has been playing more def- defense as, as a conference this year. Uh, and, and, you know, you've got such good talent on that side of the ball. Like they can keep you in games. And so that's my expectation on Saturdays. The defense keeps the Frogs in the game. It's just a matter of whether the offense can snap out of this funk or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if you want to look on the positive, if the Frogs can get something rolling on Saturday, 
uh, you've got real a really winnable, a really good stretch of winnable games coming up after that. So let's let's say TCU either plays really well and loses in a close game, or or somehow overcomes all these odds and and gets a win. Uh, you've got Kansas on the road, which is an eminently winnable game, even with the way TCU's been playing. Uh, you still have Kansas State, you have Oklahoma State, you have Baylor. You've got a tough trip to West Virginia, but the rest of that slate, I mean, they could they could get a nice roll going here and and do some damage. Um, and, and this could certainly be the weekend that kicks it off. I, it, I just guess we're all kind of in a in a wait and see mode. And and I guess the thing that I'm most interested to see after hearing Gary Patterson for the last month rail about it not happening is is this the week that Michael Collins gets some meaningful snaps in the middle of a ball game? Maybe, but realistically, and Patterson's been saying that since the beginning of the year, and it hasn't happened yet. So, is that something that we should expect? Like, I don't think so. I mean, I think well, it's almost. They- I think it's ride or die with, with Sean Robinson at this point, unless he gets reason, significantly hurt. Yeah. The only reason that I'll push back against that is that, you know, Patterson was asked about it in the press conference after Thursday night's game, and he kind of made the comment of, I've been wanting this to happen. It hasn't happened. Right now it's Sonny's call, but eventually it might be mine. And I think if Patterson has his, his way on Saturday that we'll see Michael Collins in the first half. Maybe it's a series, maybe it's a, a couple of plays, but I, I think Patterson is is a defensive guy. He has got to be as frustrated with Sean Robinson and the turnovers as anybody. And, and I do believe that not all of those turnovers are Sean's fault, right? Some of them are coming off of tip balls and good passes and yeah. things. But I also believe that sometimes, man, like that dark cloud gets over you and it doesn't matter where you stand, that rain is coming. And mm-hmm. the turnover rain is coming his way and – I think that, that negativity is contagious, and, and when things start to go wrong, man, that ball rolls downhill. And that's what we're seeing happen right now. The makeable plays are, are going the wrong way because I just think that that team is, is underneath that rain cloud. And so sometimes to, to snap your team out of a funk, you go a different direction. And while I don't think Collins is anything near what Robinson is capable of being with what we've seen out of Sean so far, I, if I'm a defensive coach and my defense is playing the way TCs is, then give me give me the guy that maybe isn't going to take as many chances, maybe can't do many great things, but is probably 2017 Kenny Rob uh, Kenny Hill through the air. You know he's not he mm. doesn't have the big gun. He he can do the he can play the mid to to short range pass. I think he can make good decisions. Like I don't want to give up on Sean Robinson, but I, I'd like to see Collins get a chance. And that's this is really the first time that that I've really felt that all year. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this, too, in the midst of the Tech game on Thursday is to say, you know, I, I mean, at this Most point. Most of what we talked about in the midst of that game was not, is right. not repeatable on the family radio well, show. But, no, but, but, but this part, <laughs> or at least the gist of this conversation was, you know, we've seen Sean Robinson at this point. Whether or not he's fully healthy is a big question mark, but we've kind of seen yeah. what he is at this point. And you're right. Once you start to make mistakes, you can get inside your own head. And that, that just leads to more mistakes and more mistakes and more mistakes. And then guys around you start making mistakes. And, yeah, it's problematic. Uh, but realistically, like, if we've seen all of that from Sean Robinson at this point and we still haven't seen Michael Collins, my question is, is why haven't we seen Michael Collins yet? You know, yeah. is, is yeah. there yeah, really that big of a gap to where Collins comes in and, and you know, we, we really find out who Michael Collins is and not in a good way? You know, I'm all for giving a guy a shot and, and for, for, you know, trying to shake things up and create some new 
just a new atmosphere and, and, and some, some positive momentum. But realistically, yeah, like if we water. haven't seen Michael Collins to this point, we have to ask why. And, and that's you know? incredibly fair. Like, I mean, Cumbie obviously has a reason for disagreeing with Patterson. Like, we haven't heard Cumbie say he disagrees. But if Patterson's so vocal about wanting at least a rotation and to see Collins play more and he's not, my assumption is that Cumbie doesn't agree with him. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Cumbie's the guy watching him in practice because Patterson's paying mm-hmm. attention to everything that's going on. But at the end of the day, like, he's with that defense. And so, uh, and, but you know, it's, it's, in, it's interesting because – Cumby is, is still a fairly young guy, you know, and, and I'm sure that to a degree he's stubborn and nobody that's, and he, he wants to be a head coach someday. Like, I don't think anybody is denying that. And so I, I wonder if there's a little bit of that, not quite ready to admit I was wrong thing too. And, and I have no idea because oh, yeah. we're not going to hear from Cumby all season. Patterson is not going to allow that to happen. Um, never does. So it's, it's just, it's an interesting dynamic. And I think that there's definitely a little tension between those two guys right now, as you would expect in the midst of a season that's going this poorly. Um, and, and so I don't think it's anything that people need to worry about, but there's a little, there's a little tension. There's a little, you know, with the way Patterson's talking and everything, you can tell that he's, he's kind of got a little bit of that, like defense is holding up its end of the job. The offense has to be better, um, which is fair and true. Uh, so I don't know, like if things don't turn around quickly, it's, it's just going to be a really interesting stretch run and, and we could be seeing a lot of changes after this year. And, and that's uh, kind of horrifying to think about. Yeah. You know, and realistically we've seen Patterson have issues with coaches on the sideline before, just issues with coaches sure. in general before, and it gets worked out and it's ultimately not yeah. a terribly big deal, even though it feels like it in the moment. And realistically, honestly, if we're looking at 2019, uh, I'm I'm not I will not be surprised if Justin Rogers is the starting quarterback next season, and this is just kind of a one-year blip on the radar. Because you know, you look at, at Rogers and how talented he was in high school. Obviously, coming back from the big knee injury, but one of the biggest things that he touted coming out of high school was his accuracy and his arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he's incredibly mobile, but he's a he's a legit past first quarterback who has the arm talent and the accuracy to really, I think, compete at the D one level. And I, I would not be shocked if he came out next spring uh, and really gave everybody a run for their money. And then by the fall was, was the starter. Well, and and that's one thing that Robinson didn't ever have in high school was the accuracy. I Mm -hmm. unbelievably talented, but I know I, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you. And, And there's, you know, the one other thing that factors into this is, Sean Robinson hasn't used his red shirt yet. Justin Rogers yeah. will have by the end of this year. And mm-hmm. so when you, when you start it out, you know, TCU has been hit directly by, by this new red shirt rule. We've seen it happen to, to other teams across the conference. These guys now are a lot less patient. And if they're not going to play, they're going to leave. And I, I, I think that you're going to see that with big name guys. And so I, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to see a future where Justin Rogers wins the job outright or where Patterson says, we got to keep this guy because it's obvious he's going to be the guy. And, and you see maybe Robinson decide to redshirt or, or something else. Like this, this whole transfer dynamic just brings a lot of things into play um, for these guys that, that play as true freshmen um, and, and that kind of maintain that redshirt year. It gives them a lot more flexibility, which means, you know, you've got Max Duggan coming in, who people are pretty high mm-hmm. on. 
uh, you know, you've got, you've still got Collins is only a red shirt sophomore. So eventually, and people talked about this, you know, over the last couple of years as these guys have signed, like they're not all going to stay. And so uh, it, it's going to be a tough decision, but if Rogers is what we think he is, and again, we, you know, we said the same thing about Sean Robinson a year ago too, but if Rogers is what we think he is, and he's probably a more developed passer of the football at this point in his career than Robinson was at a year ago then it's definitely an opportunity for him to, to win the job. And, and we could see, you know, some changes in that QB room too. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised in the least. In the least. Oh, this is, I don't uh, like, you know, I kind of miss <clears throat> recruiting a bunch of two star guys that no one had ever heard of that were playing like we're lacrosse goalies in high school. Um, and nobody wanted them. Like it was kind of nice. And then we just won a lot of games with them. Like, I don't know. There, there's something to be said for, for being for recruiting a bunch of quote unquote nobodies and and having guys that are real hungry and have something to prove and aren't getting upset about playing time as freshmen and don't expect to play until they're juniors like oh, recruiting right. is just a beating man it's such a beat recruiting is, guys and, and keeping guys you're you're recruiting guys for five years now once they get in your program too which is just God I'm glad I'm not a football coach <laughs> yeah. Same. And, you know, Patterson does a great job of reminding us of that every week, you know, saying if yeah. this was easy, anybody yeah. could do it. But uh, uh, you're right. It's it, there, There's definitely a lot more, I, I guess, drama is the best way to put it when you're recruiting these high talent guys who have expectations when they enter into a program of being a playmaker and a game changer right away. Uh, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of bigger personalities. It takes a lot more to put that chip on their shoulder, uh, which, you know, Patterson has kind of hung his hat on. Uh, in his two decades now at TCU. Uh, so you're right. It is it is almost an inadvertent culture shift just because of the new guys that you're, you're bringing in there. Uh, and sure. we've seen the positive sides of that, and we've seen some of the, some of the downsides of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do so want to just in. take a break here in this oh. moment Can I, before we move on here, though. Uh, Kendrick Williams is in the game for the New Orleans Pelicans who just housed – the Rockets on their home floor, 131 to 112. He did not record a stat. He got in at the last minute of the game, but ECU has an official NBA player, folks. That is a cool, cool thing. That is, that's such a cool story that came out about him earlier this week. I had this in our, in the news yeah. section uh, to chat about, but well, we can go ahead and chat about it now about how he was approached by multiple teams before the draft who all said, we'll, we'll take you in the second round if you can co- go ahead and kind of already agree to signing a two-way contract. And, and Kendrick believed in himself so much that he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stoop to a two-way contract when I know my own ability. Uh, and if you're coming to me prior to the draft saying that you, you want to draft me in the second round, then there are probably more, more people out there who, who think, think highly of me and, and think that I can play at this level. Uh, and so to take that leap of faith and to say no thank you, to multiple teams offering to draft him in the second round and then to go out and to earn a spot on the Pelicans, which isn't just like a joke of a team, you know, that, that team is stacked. And, and obviously after this win against Houston is, is ready to prove that they're They're going to compete in the, in a stacked Western conference uh, to go out and earn a spot. And in doing so earn yourself close to triple the paycheck you would have gotten otherwise. Yeah. I mean, hats, hats awesome. off to him. Like, uh, TCU fans probably don't expect anything different just because we've seen the guy work his ass off for so long, but this is a really cool story now. It's huge. And just so you know, you can definitely go get your Kendrick Williams uh, jersey. 
that is a thing you can do. So you just, you just may, we may have a bunch of, uh, yeah, I'm going to be getting a uh, custom shirt. I just, there, there are a lot of guys that, that come through TCU that, that we all love and we love them as frogs. Um, you know, we love what they, they give to the school, the program, the community, but I don't know that I've seen a player come through in the last 10 plus years that people have more genuinely rooted for than Kendrick Williams. Like, I mean, he, he just makes fans everywhere he goes and I have no doubt he's going to do that in the NBA too. Uh, just an awesome, awesome guy, great kid, hard worker, overcame a ton and, now he's he's playing in the NBA, man, and, and making a pretty penny to do so. It's pretty cool. So when you do the custom shirt, are you going to put Williams on the back of it, or are you going to put Hustle on the oh, back no. of it? Hustle, one hundred percent. For sure. I, I For already sure. have it in my shop. I just wanted to make sure you know. Got That's it. That's hysterical. Tonight. That's hysterical. <laughs> I might have to go with the the jersey. I might ha- I might have to put Kenny Hustle on the back of it too. We'll see. Yeah, it, I will. I will let the people know that Kenny Hustle does fit completely. You can no space, but Kenny Hustle does fit. Oh, okay. All right. That's good to know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, good, good on him. Like it's been, it's, it's so awesome to have a horn frog playing at the highest level of the three major sports now and at the, at the professional level. Now you got Kenny, obviously in the NBA, you've got tons of frogs in the MLB is obviously Deanna does a great job of keeping up with them all season long. Uh, and, and so many pro frogs in the NFL as well. Like just to see this tiny little university in Fort Worth crank out this much professional talent athletically is incredible. Yeah. Pretty cool. So let's, let's, let's go back to Saturday though. Obviously this is a big game against Oklahoma. Uh, let's talk a little bit about picks to click and some, and some keys to the game. So Melissa, let's start with your first, uh, pick to click, uh, for this game Saturday against Oklahoma. Who you got? This, this is as much hopeful as anything, but I, I think Darius Anderson has to have a big game Saturday. If the Frogs are going to have any shot whatsoever, Jet's got to show up, and he's got to show up big. Um, he has played really well against OU in the past, um, was looking on par to have a, a big game when he got hurt last year, and so there should be a little bit of a revenge factor there, hopefully, too. Um, but but, it, but if Jet doesn't doesn't go off on Saturday, the Frogs have zero shot in this game, so I'm, I'm going to give him a nod. Yeah, I mean, that's a good pick. Obviously, Patterson was frustrated with him and with Shewo after the Tech game because mm-hmm. they both fumbled in that game. And Patterson's comment was, you know, you're going to ask for the ball and then you're going to fumble it. You know, you got to hold on to the football. So uh, that's key, right? Like, if he's going to get more snaps, he's got to go out there and he's got to earn them. He's got to protect the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we might see a lot of Amari DiMarcado in this game. And frankly, yeah. that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world with the way he's been running the ball lately. Yeah. Um, I think for me, my first pick to click uh, is, it, it, you know, it's easy to pick big name guys on offense, especially, but realistically, like Jalen Rager has to have a huge game. You know, yeah. Just uh, just as much as Darius Anderson needs to get himself involved and establish himself with the run, Jalen's got to have one of those elite games that make all of the Sooner fans wonder what could have been had he not decommitted from Oklahoma. Uh, and, and yeah. you know, he started to show out again. I mean, he showed out really well against Ohio State. He had an incredible game against Texas, even though the ball barely could get to him at all. Uh, he was wide, wide, wide open several times against Texas Tech, uh, and, and Robinson just couldn't get the ball to him. Rager's got to have a big game. That means yeah. that Sean Robinson is going to have to be able to get him the football. Uh, and, and so that raises a certain number of questions, but if, if 
Robinson can get him the ball, Rager needs to have a big game in order for the Frogs to have a yeah, shot. Yeah, no. I think that's a great call. Uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I, I want to go with Ennis Gaines because I think he's the kind of guy that can be a difference maker against Kyler Murray and, and the OU offense, but I'm concerned about him actually playing um, Saturday. He left in the second half with an injury, didn't return um, in, in a really close game, and so that definitely gives you some pause. And I, I don't know that we've heard anything as to what exactly his, his deal was. Um, if he plays – you know, he has just been better and better every single week. And everyone knows that, like, I'm like, he's my favorite defensive player right now. And I'm just obsessed with the kid. Um, and, and so it's an easy one for me to pick. But he's, it's, it's going to come down to, to Ennis Gaines and, and really the safety unit as a whole. They're going to have to bring an extra guy down, um, which is super dangerous when you have, you know, a guy like Hollywood running routes. But um, these safeties are going to have to have a huge impact, positive impact on the game if the Frogs are going to get it done, and that starts with Ennis. It does, and yeah, that's a big question mark if he's not able to go about who who steps in for him. Maybe it's Ridwan sliding back over into that position, but it, yeah, that, with him and with Nico banged up, that's that's two big pieces in a secondary that has some depth, but realistically, I mean, you're you're dipping down into some freshmen now if Gaines isn't able to yeah. go. Um, and I loved uh, Trayvon Moore. Woodard did some really good things um, yeah. Thursday. He made he made some rookie mistakes too. But that dude's gonna be a player. Like he's not ready yeah. yet, but he's gonna be a player for this TCU team. He might have to get ready for Saturday. Realistically, yeah, he may, yeah, he may be a player Saturday. Because yeah. because yeah, buddy, you're you're about to go up against Hollywood Brown and CD Lamb, and that's no that's no walk in the park. So. <laughs> Nope. No, that's it's a, it's that's a, a really fast sprint in the park. <laughs> that's a welcome to Division One football. That's what that is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think for me, uh, a lot can be said about the defensive line. Um, you know, in in that conversation with Jack, obviously earlier, he pointed out that that the offensive line has had some problems in the run blocking game, but they've been pretty good in pass protection. Uh, you know, I think the guy I'm going to go with for pick to click on the defensive side of the ball is Garrett Wallow. Uh, you know, he came mm-hmm. out for a minute with an injury against Texas Tech, but was back in there near the end of the game. Um, he has to have one of those kind of water boy Bobby Boucher games where he is just flying oh, all gosh. over, making big plays, you know, eating crawfish, doing whatever, being a Louisiana boy. But, uh, no, I think he does have to have a big game from the linebacker position because, you know, Oklahoma's running game is still really solid without Ronnie Anderson. Uh, and, and to have a shot, you've got to be able to take something away. And if you can take away Trey Sermon, and if you can take away some of Kyler Murray's run, run ability, uh, then maybe the secondary has, has a chance to, to really start to shut these guys down in the passing game. Uh, and, and it really, if the defense is doing their job, then it falls on the linebackers to do theirs. And I think Garrett Wallow has the talent and has, he's shown us that he's got the ability. Uh, but now it's about getting, getting the right reads and getting in the right position to make the plays when they come your way. Uh, tackling obviously has been a big issue for him and for a lot of other frogs on de- on defense. So he's got to get that squared away. Uh, but if he does, you know, there's always a chance. Like you said, there's always a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what about, what about key matchups like position position wise? What are some key, what's a key matchup for you for this game? I mean, I think it, it comes down to the secondary against the, the OU receivers and, and then also against Kyler Murray in the open field. 
Um, you know, we saw in the fourth quarter against Texas, Murray break loose and he had that one really long touchdown run. And, and that dude in space is as scary as anyone in college football that we've seen, you know, last several years. So if, if Nico's out, if Ennis is out, like all of a sudden that secondary looks young and thin and, and ill prepared for the onslaught that they're about to face. But if those two yeah. guys can go and they're close to 100%, uh, that should be a really fun chess match to watch. I mean, it, you're looking at strength versus strength. Lincoln Riley is one of the most uh, in, in, uh, inventive and exciting young offensive play callers in the game of college football. Gary Patterson is the veteran defensive master that everybody looks to. And so uh, this little chess match of, you know, the the young dude versus the wily old veteran and, and how, how they're going to deploy – uh, some of these safeties and corners to do some different things and, and attack it. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, and that, that's going to be, you know, the, the horrifying part of this game is, is the OU offense against the TCU defense. But for people that love college football and, and have been following these programs, like that's, that's going to be where this game is won. And I think it starts with the secondary for TCU. Oh, I definitely can't argue with that. You know, that's going to be a big, a big factor for sure. I think for me, the, the position unit that I'm most, concerned about is also the one that I think has the biggest opportunity to really affect the outcome of the game. And that's TCU's offensive line. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they have, a, it, we've, we've had a couple conversations now about, you know, can this offense sustain drives? Can they finish drives with points? All of that realistically comes down to whether or not this offensive line blocks better than it has in the last several weeks, because if they don't, then they're, then it's not going to happen. You know, they have not run blocks well. They have not been good in pass protection. You know, Sean Robinson, uh, as any reasonable quarterback would, is really looking first read, and then he's starting to scramble pretty quickly because he knows guys are bearing down on him. I mean, Tech's defensive line is improved for sure, but it's still not a great defensive line, and they were all over the backfield on Thursday night. And if that's the case again, then, you know, you can almost write this one off. So offensively and, and, you know, from a, from a position unit importance standpoint, the offensive line has to be better than it's been. Uh, and if it is, then the offense maybe has a chance to find, find a rhythm and get things back on track. Well, and that's, again, we have to go back to the injury question. Does Cordell Wagu play on Saturday? Yeah. And that's a massive, massive difference for this team. And has TCU settled on a left tackle, right? You know, you're still seeing <laughs> – Austin Myers and Anthony McKinney split time, uh, you know, which isn't easy for anybody. You've got Chris Gaynor, who's been playing a couple, you know, he's been playing both guard spots uh, because of the injury to Iwagwu, and, and that means you've got some other guys in there that have shuffled around. Yeah, there just hasn't been really any consistency. So regardless of who's out there, they've got to step up and, and play better than they have been. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, Melissa, TCU in Oklahoma isn't the only game that's happening on Saturday. Are you as sure? much as, as mu- I am positive. I am looking at a schedule right now that says there is one whole other Big 12 game happening wow. this weekend. And it's, and it's a big game, folks. It is a heavy-hitting game. It has gotten the 2.30 time slot on Fox Sports 1. It is the Kansas Jayhawks going to Lubbock to face off against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Texas Tech is favored by 18 and a half points. Do you think that's too low Any of a number? Any chance they have a letdown? Any chance no. they have a letdown here? No, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, mean, shocked that, I'm shocked that Tech is only an 18 and a half point favorite. 
Well, I mean, TCU's defense obviously is is elite, um, but it's not like this Tech offense looked real in sync on Thursday night with Jet Duffy at quarterback. I mean, that dude cannot throw the ball. He is not a good thrower. I mean, they they won that game because he sprung loose um, for really on a nice play call at the right time for a nice run. Um, I don't I don't think they're going to go drop sixty points on Kansas, and so eighteen and a half field low. I'll be interested to see how Kansas responds post Doug Meacham um, on the road, you know, in, in, a, in a, a contest that they have really no shot to win in. So, uh, I, I mean, I think the Red Raiders win comfortably. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say they probably do beat the spread and, and they probably win by at least three touchdowns. Yeah, I think that covers too. I don't, I mean, it, Kansas is awful. Kansas is so, so awful. Uh, I don't. I don't see Tech having any issue in this game whatsoever. Uh, but you know, it is. It's a small, a, a small schedule for for the Big Twelve this weekend. But there are some really interesting matchups outside of the Big Twelve, uh, and they start early on. You know, you've got Michigan, Michigan State happening at eleven. Uh, you know, Michigan coming week. off. That's this week. You know, you've got Michigan wow. coming off of that thumping of Wisconsin. You know, which nobody saw coming, right, Melissa? Oh gosh. That was such a, a big matchup. But you've also got 4-2 and two Michigan State coming off of a win in Happy Valley over a, a then-top-10 Penn State. Uh, so this is, a, this is a pretty cool Big Ten matchup, actually, that I'm kind of looking forward to uh, seeing how that plays out. I think death, that death Michigan's going to win this and Michigan game. State. Yeah, I, I, I think, think you're Michigan's right. going to win. That, but- it's that consistency, though, of every time that um, uh, D'Antonio's seat gets hot at Michigan State, they, they pull some stupid, stupid win that they shouldn't, which is exactly what happened last week. People started doubting him. They go find a way to win, and, and yeah, I think they'll come back to earth in Michigan. Michigan's just the better team, and they're the team that nobody's really talking about right now that could be a real problem in the Big Ten um, for, for their playoff hopes, and, and a team that you know, could really shake things up as far as having, you know, two, potentially three of the Power Five conferences getting left out of uh, the, the four-team playoff this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, their one loss is that opening weekend loss to Notre Dame. Since then, they've yeah. won six straight. They've got this game against Michigan State. They host Penn State next week. And after that, it's Rutgers and in Indiana before a season finale game against Ohio State. So, uh, you know, they come through this. This three-game stretch, three and zero, and then they beat Rutgers in Indiana. They could be, they could be heading to the Big Ten championship with a win over Ohio State, with a real shot at at being, uh, being in the Final Four or not, depending on what Notre Dame does. You know that yeah. opening weekend loss to them could keep them out of the college football playoff. Uh, and then how how hard are Big Ten fans hollering for expanding to to eight teams at that point? Well, I I saw something on Twitter today, and I can't remember what it was or who it was by, or I might have heard it on the radio this morning. It's been a blur of a week, but uh, it was something about how if two Power Five conferences get left out of the playoff discussion, that they will go to 16s almost immediately. And I don't see any scenario where two Power Five team or two Power Five conferences don't get let out, left out of the playoffs, because I don't see Notre Dame losing a game. I'm sure they'll find a way because it's Notre Dame, but. I mean, the Big 12 is in real danger of not making it to the Final Four, and the Pac-12 is in real danger of not making it to the Final Four. And if, if Notre Dame is in and you have a one-loss Big Ten champion, 
then yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at a serious shakeup in the college football playoffs. So by all means, Notre Dame went out and make this open up to six teams, at least maybe eight. Do you really think that the big 12 and the PAC 12 are the two conferences that have enough sway to affect that though? Or does it have to be that like it's the big 12 and the big 10 that get left out? Well, but, but, but I think that you're going to have an uproar among the leadership of those conferences if two of the five get left out. I, I mean, yeah. I, th- I just think it's an untenable model at that point because whether the, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have enough cachet on their own combined, th- those are voices that are going to be listened to. I mean, if you, get, if, you, if you piss off both of those conferences in the postseason and, and cost them the amount of money that they're going to be cost, like – I think there will be change. I really do. I just I think that the model just becomes completely and totally untenable going forward at that point. So that's what we need. Chaos. I mean, I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. You know, you've got another. You've got a, a battle of undefeated ACC teams coming up on Saturday afternoon too, in Clemson and NC State. NC State quietly five and zero. They haven't played yeah. the the most difficult schedule in by any stretch of the imagination. You know, their their best wins were over Virginia and Boston College, but. This is a team that maybe could make some noise. Clemson has shown that they are vulnerable uh, with, you know, just close wins over Syracuse and Texas A&M. Uh, so this could be a game where we see see some some more chaos start to happen too. For sure. Uh, this is not the same Clemson team that we saw the previous two or three seasons. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of questions around Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback too, Um NC State's a really good football team, and I think this will be – they're a really solid football team. Let's put it this way. This is going to be a close game into the third quarter, but I still think Clemson just has so much professional talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that they'll be able to run away and win. But this is the first big test for, for Trevor Lawrence where he may have to go out and, and win a game in the second half, and it'll be interesting to see how the true freshman responds. Definitely. Well, I agree. I think Clemson wins, but I, I would not be surprised if, if NC State – comes away with with the upset there and, and remains undefeated uh you know moving right along you got some some relatively big sec matchups coming up this weekend you've got alabama tennessee which is always a big game in tennessee you know maybe there is some life there they got that win over auburn last week you know they they got thumped by georgia and florida the two weeks prior uh but maybe there's some life there obviously they're gonna they're gonna get stomped by alabama um and then you've got LSU hosting Mississippi State after their really impressive win over Georgia. I don't think either of us really gave them a shot to win that game last week. No, no chance at all. I was super impressed. I didn't think they could, as good as their defense is, I did not think they could score enough to keep up with Georgia. But Georgia's starting to have some growing pains, too. I mean, Fromm seems to have hit a little bit of that sophomore slump. Their running game has, has declined sharply, with losing two backs to the NFL and then losing their, their five-star true freshman um, in spring ball or before the season started. And so this does become a much more interesting game in Baton Rouge. You could also see a little bit of an emotional letdown for the Tigers. Um, I think that, uh, that, that we'll see LSU come out on top. Um, Mississippi State's been a really, really tough team to figure out um, in a lot of ways. They're a very, very veteran group, and so the moment won't be too big for them. But I, I do think LSU pulls out a win. It's probably just going to be a little bit closer than anticipated. Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't think Mississippi State has as big a bag as people think as as people think they do. Uh and and after after that win against Georgia, I am kind of buying in to LSU, especially yeah, looking at Joe Burrow and how well he played, especially that you know, that big run late to really help them put that yeah, game away for nice. good. 
against a defense that is legit. And so yeah, that's something that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but looking at looking at the rest of the schedule, you know, you've got a couple big Pac-12 games too. You've got Oregon, Washington State, a battle of five and one Ooh, squads that's happening. That's going to hey, be a really fun let's game. Let's give it up to college game day. Finally making it out to watch the Owazu game after that flag goes to 200 college game day sites. This is the first time that they're actually hosting the show, and that that's going to be a spectacle. I cannot wait to watch those fans just freak out uh, Saturday morning. Be, I'm super happy for that community. It's going to be absolute chaos. And I am so yeah. I just, I, I am want here to for see, it. I want to see the pirate front and center for like 90% of that whole day. Yep. Yep. Um, you do. I'm totally you know, there's another, that. there's another PAC 12 game. That's not probably getting as much interest from folks, but I think it's a pretty intriguing matchup and that's Colorado heading to Washington. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Colorado, was 5-0 and heading into their game against USC. USC really kind of took it to them. I think there's some some pride issues there. They got a, a couple of really good Texas talents on that offense for, for Oklahoma or for Colorado. You know, Katie uh, Nixon is, is a really great uh, wide receiver. And then uh, I can't remember his first name, but Chenault is another fantastic wide Lake receiver. Visha. For them. Lake, yes. Lake, Lake Visha. Yes. That is his first name, uh, and yes, you know they're they're, some, like they're incredibly talented kids, and you know it's kind of fun, you know the fact that they're not playing in in Texas and they're they're not on on the Horn Frogs is a little bit of frustration there, but you know seeing yeah. them perform for a school like Colorado that's been down for so long that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean that that loss to USC is super super disappointing for the Buffs. I mean that that's a game that you if you want to be elite, if you want to be a real contender. Um, you know, for a major bowl, you have, those are the games you have to win, um, on the road, especially, but that, that team, that USC team is so not good. That's just a real point loss for them. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to bounce back this weekend. I think that's going to be two in a row, um, on the, the losing end for Colorado. Yeah, I think so too. As much as I want to see them do well, uh, someone who grew up watching them just because they were in the, in the big 12, you know, I don't, I don't see them winning that yeah. game either. And with that, you know, there there are other football games, but they aren't really worth our time at this point. So, Melissa, I think with that, we'll call it a wrap here. How about it? Yeah, I mean, are we going to put down some uh, predictions here for for Saturday, or do we just want to leave oh, that gosh. one alone? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I guess we probably I mean, should. I'm cool with, I'm cool with yeah. not. I, I mean, I, I will say you know, just a little little spoiler here. If, if you do read my Q&A uh, with Crimson and Cream, that will go up later this week as soon as I send Jack back questions. Um, they didn't even ask if I thought TC would win. He asked if I thought TC would cover. So yeah, they asked that's, me that too that's where in the we podcast. Are. Yeah, in, in the CCM machine, CC machine right now is, is it's not even a question of will TC win. It's can TCU cover the spread, uh, which you said is only eight points, correct? That, that seems yeah. really, really low. Um, yeah, I was surprised. You know, I, I would, I would, I, I don't, I just, I, I don't think we cover uh, at an eight points. I think this could be a 12 point game and, and I'd be happy with that. The, the one thing that'll be interesting to see is that Patterson made a point um, Thursday night of saying uh, you guys all expect the tech to come and run all over us. But the one thing that we do is we hold, we've held every team we played this year underneath their season averages. And, and it'll be interesting to see if they can really contain that Oklahoma offense and, and frustrate them and maybe frustrate Kyler Murray into making some bad decisions. He has not been in a lot of pressure situations, and, and and not just this year, but in like the last six years, this kid has not had to go out and win a game very often. 
Um, he, he's been so talented, and his teams have been so much better than his opponents that until that second half against Texas, there wasn't a lot of onus on him very often to go out and be the guy. And if TCU can keep things close, it'll be really interesting to see how he responds in those situations. That being said, <laughs> OU <laughs> averages 48 points per game. Uh, I, I think if TCU can hold him to 30, then then that's a, a moral victory that we won't celebrate, but a moral victory nonetheless. And so I, I'm going to say that that it's going to be OU 31, TCU 20 on on Saturday morning. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I feel that score. That that sounds like a really good score. I, yeah. as good as the secondary is, you know, with the injuries to Gaines and Small. Yeah. You no know, question. Why, I mean, Kennedy Lewis had a good game against Tech, but he's struggled outside of that game. Uh, sorry, Julius Lewis, not Kennedy Lewis. Um, yeah, I got very confused. <laughs> that's my fault. Yeah, Julius Lewis has struggled outside of the Tech game where he played pretty well. Uh, I think Oklahoma 35, TCU 17, somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, I just – I, I worry about this offense, and because I worry about this offense, I worry about the sustainability of TCU's defense for four quarters. Like, I, yeah. I would not be shocked if this was, like, a 14-7 to game at halftime in favor of Oklahoma. And then mm-hmm. by the end of the third quarter, late, uh, early, early fourth quarter, Oklahoma scores a couple more touchdowns to really kind of put it away, either because of a, a turnover on offense for TCU or just because the defense has already been out there for 80 snaps and they're worn down. Uh, that's that's really kind of the way I see this game going, is the Frogs keep it close for about two and a half quarters just because of their defensive prowess, and then ultimately it, it kind of gets away from them in the end. I'm going to throw one prop bet at you to add on to okay. this. All right. Over, under is six. The prop is Michael Collins' snap. Over under of six. What do you got? I'm taking the under. I, I'm I taking don't, the over. I, okay. I mean, I they got it's they got to show me that he's actually going to play before I believe that he'll act. You know, he'll take more than realistically. That's a series, maybe two, probably yeah. two with the way this offensive line is held up. So, <laughs> is he really going to get out yeah, there? For I think I think we're going to see him. I think we're going to see him for two series. Okay. I think I think there's going to be an early turnover, and he's going to get a series to let Sean catch his breath and watch because Patterson has said sometimes it's good to watch. And then I think in the second half, uh, I think after a second turnover, that that he he gets a couple of series in the second half as well. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then you know we've got a full-on quarterback competition on our hands again. Got a little QB controversy. <laughs> is, is, it, is it a competition at that point? <laughs> or is a contra- it a, oh God, here we are. It's a, it's a controversy, I suppose. A feeble one, but one oh, nonetheless. Man. It's just us coming right, down well, until right, well, Justin yeah. Telsey. 2019. 2019, here we come. But this has been this has been the Frogs War podcast. Uh, we hope that you have not fallen as deep into this dark hole as Melissa and I have uh, for your own mental health, really more than anything else. Uh, we would we would appreciate a review and a rating on iTunes. Uh, Follow us wherever podcasts are available. Obviously, we'll be back uh, at Dutch's Locker Room in a couple of weeks. The first Wednesday in November is when we'll be back there. Uh, Next week, we'll be on Ringer one more time uh, prior to that. Uh, But, yeah, thank you for listening, as always. 
uh, it's it's a fun a fun thing to do this podcast every single week. And we thank you guys for for hanging with us and listening. Uh, and for that, you know, I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treewater. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.